Hi, my name is Titi Mutendi and you are listening to Enterprising Families Podcast. Welcome to the world of Enterprising Families where we discuss the issues of governance, next gen and looking at how families of wealth and family businesses growing into families of wealth can preserve their wealth, become better as they go forward into a new generation. Hi everyone and welcome to this episode of Enterprising Families and on this episode of Enterprising Families I bring back one of my favorite guests James Hughes or Jay Hughes as everybody in the industry knows him. He is an incredible thought leader and uh, in the last few months I have been talking a lot about his work and his thought processes around the five capitals of wealth and I think in the entirety the whole um thought leadership in that in that space of capitals and breaking them down has really helped some of the families that I work with understand what wealth is all about. So I've brought back Jay to unpack it a little bit further for us. Welcome, Jay. Setsi, it is a great privilege to be back with your audience and with you. And on this subject, I'm excited. I'm I enjoyed so much the earlier opportunities to chat together with you and the audience. And uh, so here we are. And let's get ahead. Let's see how we can help. Absolutely. So our main topic today, our main focus is the five capitals of wealth. Um, When my first question would be, could you unpack this um, conversation for us? How did you come up with these five capitals? What made you think these um, individual capitals, if you bring them together in their entirety, enrich a family to make them wealthy beyond just the financial wealth? Well, let's start with uh, the English language. Uh, and this is a recent discovery of mine, but it answers, I think, your question because I was thinking about it for a very long time. I discovered recently that the word wealth comes actually from an Anglo-Saxon word. Here we are in Africa today, of all places, speaking Old English. (laughs) What an amazing world we live in. Just absolutely amazing. It is. The word wealth itself comes from two Anglo-Saxon words, we, W-E-O-L-O, we all, and for those um, uh, who remember uh, the world, we, we still have these words, were commonweal and commonwealth. So this word is still in our lexicon. It's in our consciousnesses. And what the word we all meant was well-being. Ah, oh, wealth means well-being. That's actually what the word means. Wow. So the first thing I would say, and that I was trying to do and trying to convey with the five capitals, as we'll discuss in a minute, is that a family's wealth is its well-being. Historically and through all of written history, we could say, how do we know if we've achieved well-being? Or, well, the word is flourishing or thriving. Have we achieved the individual happinesses of each member of the family? 
toward flourishing. So we know wealth is well-being when our family is flourishing, when the individual journeys of its members are leading to their individual journeys of happiness. So wealth is well-being is the core question of a family. Wonderful. Absolutely. Just wonderful. I would also say to our listeners and our watchers that to really understand what I'm talking about, you need to do a little bit of consciousness work. And the consciousness work I'd like you to do is to begin to ask your wonderful conscious self. When I hear the word wealth, do I imagine from the back of my brain and my memory where my pictures are to my left cortex, well-being? So every time I hear the word wealth, I want to reprogram my brain if it's not already programmed, well-being. And the second key reprogramming is that if I hear the word wealth, I hear well-being. And if somebody says to me, wealth meaning money, I say, oh, you mean financial capital. And Sitsi, I can tell our audience that if you start out consciously with wealth as well-being, and you're very conscious to use the word financial capital when you're talking about money or species or a thing, mm -hmm you will be astonished at how different your actions are. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Now, let's come to the five capitals, as you asked. Am I doing okay so far? Wonderful. Thank you. So, it occurred to me, Sitsi, all those years ago when I was writing my first book, but of course you have the ideas before you write the book, Mm -hmm. that families seemed to see themselves in a very, very narrow asset when they looked at their assets. Easy to see the liabilities. Well, not always. We'll come to those in a minute. But they saw their assets as their financial capital. Mm -hmm. I said, well, then you can't flourish. You can't. The shirt sleeve to shirt sleeve proverb wins. If all you can see, and I'm starting the hand gesture, mm -hmm. which you remember from last time, but mm -hmm. if you only see yourself as financial capital and you're wiggling your thumbs, your other capitals disappear. Mm. And this is death for a family. Mm -hmm. There's nothing there. There's no purpose. Accumulation is not a purpose of this. Mm -hmm. So I thought to myself, well, what are the capitals of a family? And then the hand gesture emerged later on to remind us that human capital, intellectual capital, social capital, and spiritual capital. That's what a family consists of. Mm -hmm. Now, what do I mean by these? Okay, spiritual, it's hard to wiggle your pinky, you know, without wiggling your ring finger. But yes. basically, the pinky represents spiritual capital. What do I mean by that? What I mean by spiritual capital is do you have a common vision and purpose that is larger than yourself? Mm -hmm. Do you seek to grow something larger 
than yourself. Now, so this doesn't sound immediately, oh, big. Let's start from a different place. Every family begins with two people. Hmm. Back to Webster, the dictionary. You can have a single person household, can't have a single person family. No. Has to be two or more people. Mm -hmm. And if those two or more people begin this thing called family, it is because they have a deep affinity, not blood. Of course, they don't share any blood. Mm -hmm. Blood's a fallacy, by the way. That's a building your house on sand. When you build your house on rock, uh -huh. built it on affinity because that's how family begins. And those two people have a common purpose. Mm -hmm. And that purpose is each other's flourishing. They kind of agree to give up freedom to gain freedom. I'll help you. I don't know if you'll help me. I think you will. So I'm going, I'm going to take a chance. In that spiritual capitalist courage, mm -hmm. courage to go on a journey, curiosity, all the great Virtues are sitting in the spiritual capital. It's high purpose. We have a mission and a vision together to go on a journey toward enhancing each other's individual journey of happiness, toward flourishing. Or, as easier to say is, can we measure our spiritual capital by whether all the boats rose? <laughs> Sinking boats is not a great a great image, right? Absolutely not. So we need a purpose. We need somewhere to go. And another way to illustrate this is imagine back to Alice in Wonderland, which mm -hmm. most of us read as children, although it's an adult book. And you remember Alice is walking in the forest? Yes. And the Cheshire cat is sitting on the branch, remember, with a big smile. Mm -hmm. Yes. Says, Alice, where are you going? Says, I don't know. The Cheshire cat says, then you're certain to get there. Hmm. You think she's going to get somewhere she wants to go? Not likely. Cheshire cat's question is wonderful. Alice, do you know where your family, do you know where you're going? We don't know. Then you're certain to get there. <laughs> But are you likely to get to some place of intention? Probably not. Mm. So spiritual capital is up on top. You can't make a journey with another person or many people, however you define your family of affinity, without a purpose. Would you agree? I do agree. That's, cap that's highest capital. Mm -hmm. And then you have next you have social capital. Now, what do I mean by social capital? I'm not speaking of philanthropy. I'm speaking okay. of something much more basic. I'm not, I'm all for philanthropy and social capital in that way, but I want to use the word a different way. Mm -hmm. Social capital here means do you have a joint decision making system, social capital, mm -hmm. and can you make it work? By mean, uh, meaning, can you make really great joint decisions? So again, Family, remember we're talking about family flourishing, the capitalism of family, are grounded with this purpose in decision-making, not governance. That's just too big a word. 
Mm. No. Do you have a system? Social system. That's what families are. They're social organizations, right? Mm -hmm. And can that social organization make good decisions? That's social capital. Mm. And do those decisions link together over a long period of time? Mm. Because as you and I discussed at one of our earlier sessions, Mother Nature's shirt sleeve to shirt sleeve proverb is right there. Mm. Yes. And she asks us first, if you don't have a purpose, Mother Nature says shirt sleeve is going to happen. For mm. sure. You have to have a purpose to say it doesn't happen. We'll avoid it. We're going to do something better. And if you're going to avoid it, you need to make a whole lot of joint decisions over a very long period of time. You have mm -hmm. to learn to do that. Whether it's two people, three people, four people, 500 people. Mm -hmm. Some of the great tribes in Africa are thousands of years old. And what are they? They are the, they are the accumulation of their elders, their youngers, their middles, making all kinds of joint decisions over a long period of time. Mm, mm, mm. Okay, so that's social capital. Yes. Now, again, I'm not suggesting that <laughs> philanthropy is not a form of social capital. But what I'm trying to do is make it much, much simpler. Just do you have a joint decision-making system? Can you make it work? Gotcha. Or achieving this purpose of flourishing. Now, the next capital is intellectual capital. What do I mean by intellectual capital? What I mean by intellectual capital is your family a learning system? Okay. Are you wild about individual learning? Mm. And is the deal that if you're in this family and you're learning, you share what you learn. Mm -hmm. As to get all those boats to rise, we need to know what each other knows. True. If only you know this and I don't know that, and I need to know this and you need to know that, because we're a family of affinity, we're on a journey together, well, we need to find out what each other knows. We need to learn and we need to share. Hmm. And if we do that, guess what? We're probably better to make, make better decisions. Oh, that makes sense, doesn't it? Yes, it does. And then we're probably going to flourish. We're, we, we have a system. Mm -hmm. And then this finger is human capital. And by human capital, I mean, is each individual member of family thriving? Are they mind, body, spirit strong? Mm -hmm. Are we committed as a group to the health and well-being of each family member? Mm -hmm. Does it matter to us? And it isn't just a question of physical health, mind, body, spirit, mm -hmm. the same Forever the same tri tri trilogy, isn't it? Mm -hmm. As we've learned from our forebears. What's the condition of your mind? What's the condition of your body? What's the condition of your spirit? Mm. And are we committed that every single family member's 
mind, body, spirit is thriving. So now when we join the intellectual capital, we're prepared to learn, right? Yes. If we're learning and sharing what we learn, we'll make better joint decisions. Yes. We make better joint decisions, we'll bring our purpose to life. Now this one's still here. Here's financial capital. But now it's, it has a purpose. Yes. Grow these. Not accumulate. Grow. Grow them. Oh. Now I have a reason to do all that work. Yes. Oh my goodness. This this supports. Mm -hmm. It's it supports growing these. It's the bottom of the baobab tree, but there's the top of the baobab tree. It's big. Mm. Bottom's not so big. True. Right? Yes. Ah, upside down? No. It's right side up for baobab tree. Yes. Yes. Those are the five capitals. Those are the assets of a family. Mm. And they're discernible. You can find them out. You can discover yourselves, and then you can set about that wonderful, wonderful journey of growing them mm. dynamically. Mm -hmm. But this is death. I want to say this again. For a family, this is death because it doesn't understand its assets. It's just Alice in Wonderland going anywhere. Mm -hmm. We have lots of financial capital, but without these, there's no purpose. There's no place to go. Mm. This is life. And Mother Nature doesn't like this, by the way, because when you figure this out, she says, well, the proverb's not going to come true. Entropy isn't going to happen in your family if you do this. Mm. You say, yeah, Mother Nature, we're going to work with you. We actually know your rules. Mm -hmm. Go bother somebody else. Leave our family of affinity alone. Because mm. we, know, we know how to work with you, not against you. Mm, 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 mm. No, we're going to work with you. Hmm. And for families who all of a sudden or who gradually realize that they need to engage the five capitals, what are some of the first practical steps they need to take as a family to start engaging and discovering and aligning with those five capitals within their unique family um, collective? Well, the first thing they need to do, believe it or not, when they have this realization, they, not one person, mm -hmm. but very often there's one person, the elder, who says, I want you to think about these questions. Mm -hmm. yes? yes? And then you need story. You need to discover what your lineage is. What is that affinity? Love, of course. Mm -hmm. Love is absolutely necessary. And then I think the process of accepting that the first thing we want to do when we understand this we want to find out what our assets are before we get out on the journey. Okay. We want to understand who we are and begin to grow these and then go 
not just go because that's Alice. Mm. No, we need to understand ourselves, who we are, what are our components. One wonderful way to begin that um, is with an exercise that I do in my family from time to time. I do it, help the families that I serve do it. It's very easy. Mm-hmm. And actually, we do it storytelling all the time. We just don't remember we're telling stories. We're telling stories to each other all today. So, but being more constructed for the moment. And by the way, my experience of Africa is story is still much more deeply embedded in the experience of human beings than sadly has occurred in other parts of the world. Mm. So just imagine for the moment, see that we have a family of 30 people coming to dinner mm-hmm. around an event. Yes. And they say, you know, we watch CC's program. Hmm. We heard this very strange man on a very strange day. We we're kind of weird, really, talking to us about these capitals. It's seemed very strange. Uh, we didn't really know how to start. Sitsi asked a great question. And so this strange man on the internet said, Well, why don't you try this? Okay, so imagine a round, big round table mm-hmm. or a fire. Of course, there's a fire equivalent and people are sitting in a circle mm-hmm. but they can hear each other mm-hmm. and let's say the youngest is seven or eight years old and let's say the oldest is 90 okay. okay so here's the only question to the seven or eight year old who was the oldest person that you knew and what did they tell you about someone older okay it's the only question So the seven or eight-year-old says, well, I knew so-and-so. Most of the heads go like that. We knew that person too. Hmm. And what did she, probably she, tell you about someone older? Well, she told me about so-and-so. Some of the heads say, yes, of course. And now those people are present, aren't they? See how we brought them into the circle? Mm -hmm. And now we go age age slowly slowly everyone speaks you get to the 90 year old mm-hmm. and he or she says well you know the oldest person i knew was my great grandfather mm. and you know he told me about his father Nobody knew these people, but they came to the circle. And here's what happened. Mm. Because remember, to do this well and to have Mother Nature not have shirt sleeves to three generations, but have a fourth and fifth flourishing generation, it's about a 150-year journey before you know how you're doing. Uh Uh-oh. Oh, that's too long. No, it's not too long. Because here's what just happened. The great-grandfather was probably born about 1860. Mm-hmm. What? Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. And that little seven or eight-year-old is going to live to be 100, isn't she? Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. 
So what did you and I just do together? We went from 1860 to 2120. Hmm. What? That's us. Hmm. Oh, wow. We've been on this journey a long time. Yeah, we're not just starting today. We're recovering what we are, what we, who we actually are. Now, here's another secret of that little tiny exercise. Mm. There's endless conversation about onboarding and about the ones who join us. Who are they? They're not part of it. Ah. Remember, affinity is the key bonds. Yes. And also, we ask our audience to remember that when someone marries into our family, mm-hmm. they're the only people who choose us. Poor them. What a shame. <laughs> I wonder if they had any clue. <laughs> okay. But they did choose us, right? Yes, they do. And here's part of this same exercise. Their stories about their oldest people and what they knew change the tapestry and start creating the actual tapestry of the family as it is today. Mm-hmm. Because now their stories weave in. Yes. The, or the mosaic stones of the people they mentioned become part of that mosaic. Mm-hmm. And now we actually understand who we are. Yes, we do. Now I'm going to say something really radical. Okay. If the family has trusts, which are very often the case if they have this, mm-hmm. along with this comes trusts and companies and limited climability, all kinds of structures. Mm-hmm. Guess what? The trustees need to be at that table. Oh. Because they're family of affinity members, because if they aren't, the trust won't work. Mm-hmm. They're not some other financial institution. Mm-hmm. They're human beings who are in relationship with us or they're not. That's correct. If they don't have affinity with us, then they're not. We can't. How can we make the thing work? Mm-hmm. But particularly because there are no scripts for how to be a beneficiary, much less how to be a trustee. There's no script. There's a document which doesn't tell you how to make the thing work. Mm. There's no script. That is so true. The stories create the scripts. Mm. Scripts are plays. They're, They're stories. They're stories that come to life in relationships. Mm. So this very little exercise is an incredibly important place to start. Mm. It is. Stories. Stories. Mm. Mm. And I, from your narrative of the seven-year-old and the 90-year-old, how old or how young should family members be when you start integrating them into these exercises? 
as soon as they can sit. Okay. Or at least romp. It's fine. Okay. In fact, one of the great fallacies is to say, oh, this person has turned 21. We should invite them. That's ridiculous. Mm. 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 No, a family is composed of the people with whom you have affinity and who have affinity with you. Mm. The, the sooner they are part, as appropriate for their age, then you don't have transactions when they have to suddenly join. You have transitions. And Sitsi, the language here is extraordinarily important. Mm -hmm. You never want transactions. Gotcha. You don't want somebody at 21 going to the lawyer for a great reveal. And having a meteor, as we discussed in one of our lectures. So, oh, by the way, uh, your grandfather created this trust for you, and you don't have to work for the rest of your life. What? What? Hmm. And it's not your parent telling you this. It's some lawyer. Because the parent doesn't have the words to talk about money. Hmm. Oh, psychological devastation. Mm -hmm. Well, if that same person has been coming to the meetings appropriate to their age and to the agenda items, mm -hmm. it's a transition. Mm. That's true. Well, families are linked transitions. Mm. One of the things that I've said for years to people in, who have uh, enterprises that uh, businesses and things is you might, as a business student, use the word succession in a business context, although I think transition is still better. Mm -hmm. But please don't use that word in a family because succession sounds like chopping and somebody's gone. Yes. Speak about linked transitions. That's human evolution. That's life. Mm. When, you, when that 90-year-old brings in his or her grandfather and great-grandfather, they're bringing the transition. They're bringing people to the meeting who, want, who are sitting someplace in heaven wanting to come to the meeting. Mm. Well, invite me, please. Don't make me sit up here in this place. I want to come to the meeting. Mm. Don't leave me on, on, up here. That's not fair. Come on. Bring me to the meeting. Mm, mm, mm. Capital, spiritual capital, social capital. Bring me to the meeting. I'll help you make decisions. Because this is how we did it. Mm -hmm. yeah? This is how human beings do things. Mm. It's how we interact. It's that interconnectivity. Mm. Yes. Wow. Yes. But you have to be growing these. Mm. By the way, one of the liabilities, mm -hmm. not to go away from the assets, but one of the liabilities is that there are no scripts. I threw this in just for fun, but it's a hugely important knowing. Okay. That when you're trying to make joint decisions and all these structures. Yes. There's no script for you in the play. The metaphor that I love, Cece, is a 
not very good play written in 1920 by a man named Pirandello in Italy. And the title of the play is what I love, Six Characters in Search of an Author. Huh. Okay. Yeah, somebody says I'm a beneficiary, I'm a limited partner, I'm a grants committee. Oh, give me a script. Sorry, there's no script. What? I'm now a a character in search of an author. Mm -hmm. Play in the play. Got you. Because the lawyer knows, or the banker knows, or the accountant knows. I don't know. I'm in the play. How did I get in this play? Mm, I'm a ghost in this play. Literally, it's my play, but I'm a ghost. There's no part for me. Mm. I'm Banco's ghost. but I'm trying to get in the play, but I don't have an author. There's no script. Mm -hmm. That's a liability to these capitals. I'm not going to thrive as a human being. I'm intellectually not deficient. I have no intellectual capacity. Mm -hmm. How can I make a joint decision in that structure for my family if I don't know my part? Mm. And I certainly have no purpose. I don't have no, I'm Alice in Wonderland in that trust or that limited pump or that company. I, I, I'm just, I don't know where I'm going. Mm. I'm trying to, that's a liability. That's a liability, isn't it? Mm, It is. And the way I construct that is to ask a very simple question, very complex to answer. Can you live in this plan? You. And the answer is always no. Mm. The plan may have solved for taxes and creditors, but didn't solve for me because nobody considered me in the plan, even though I'm the object of the plan. Mm. So can I live in the plan? No. Mm. So if I'm going to do these things as a family, if we're going to go on a long journey, remember, we just moved from 1860 to 2120 together. Yes. Hmm. Well, that's us. Mr. Hughes is not talking about some odd family or some family in fantasy or fiction. No, that's us. Hmm. I see what he's saying. If it's us sitting around the table and all the people of affinity, I call family, including the trustees. Well, yes, we want their stories. Right? Because yes. they're in the joint decision-making system. Yes. We need their intellectual capital. We need their thriving human capital. Yes, we do. Thank you so, so much for unpacking this always fascinating topic for me and um, giving us more to think about. Um, as your final parting words, what would you like to share to, with my audience to keep them in remembering um, the importance of the five capitals? In the Western tradition, yes, I'm sure in Africa, uh, this knowing was present too. Perhaps Mandela's knowing. Okay. But in the Western tradition, Aristotle 
wrote in a book called The Politics, mm-hmm. something that is transcending for me, it says, if you want a flourishing society, the first building block of a flourishing society is a flourishing family. Hmm. What a society you want to live in and, and flourish in, the first building block is your family. Mm-hmm. That's the foundation. If families are not flourishing, the society is built on sand, as the Bible, Christian Bible wrote. Mm-hmm. If families are flourishing, then that society is built on rock. Mm-hmm. So what I would say is in a time of great, enormous change, with the fourth economic experiment, with extraordinary change, issues of gender, extraordinary issues of uh, complexity that no human beings have faced before. I could go on and on. Mm-hmm. The core beginning of a flourishing society is your flourishing family. Mm-hmm. It's not somebody else's problem, is what I'm saying. Mm. Mm. So this, I'm going to a larger way of making decisions together from the incredible importance of of making individual decisions in your family, but this is the building block. Aristotle is right, and I think this is Mandela's great belief as well. The key is that all the building blocks of that society are flourishing. Mm. And there's a story which I'll leave you with, since you asked me. Imagine for a moment that you were somewhere in France in the 13th century. By the way, I think you could have been in Timbuktu in the 13th century and maybe had the same experience, okay? Uh-huh. So here comes Sitsi and a dog, and you're walking along and you come to a building site, mm-hmm. Imagine our viewers and listeners, imagine they're walking on a building site in the 13th century with a dog. Mm-hmm. And they come to a man by the side of the road, and he's making bricks, making bricks. Mm. And you say to him, sir, what are you doing? He said, I'm making bricks. Mm-hmm. Oh, okay. You walk along a little further, you come to another man mm. who's making bricks. And you say to him, what are you doing? He said, I'm making a wall. Hmm. Interesting. You go a little further, you come to a third man who's making bricks. And you ask him, what are you doing? He said, I'm building a cathedral. Hmm. That's what we're talking about. Whether it's Chartres or Timbuktu. Mm -hmm. Great families are building cathedrals. Absolutely. And I should have said in Zimbabwe, your great, great city uh, that was discovered uh, and rediscovered, it existed, but that magnificent city in Zimbabwe that flourished. Mm -hmm. Yes? Yes. Somebody wanted to build cathedrals. Absolutely. And cathedrals cathedrals are, are not monuments to ego. No. 
They're not some man or woman building something for themselves. No, it's someone, the elders, who said, let us imagine building a cathedral. Families that are growing these consistently over a long period of time are building a family that is essentially a cathedral in that wonderful image of that building site. Mm-hmm. It matters what we see and what we imagine. Mm. Absolutely. Absolutely. Thank you once again for such an incredible conversation. I'm sure my listeners have um, a lot of nuggets that they've taken away that they can implement as they go forward and um, start envisioning building these cathedrals with their families. Mm-hmm.